Thank you, Kitabatake family. My name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. It's so great to be with all of you here today. Welcome to everybody here in the auditorium, and welcome to everybody over in the venue, and welcome to everybody watching online. So glad you could join us today. That's a tough act to follow. So you have all of them singing beautifully, and then you have that beautiful family reading uh, those verses. It was awesome. So we are in our series, Songs of the Season, where we're looking at classic, classic Christmas carols and digging into the biblical inspiration for them. And so this morning we're going to be looking at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And as we begin that, I would like to take a little bit of time to complain. And so if you would allow me a few minutes to whine about daylight savings time, that would be great. So... I like daylight savings time itself. I don't like when it ends. Uh, so it's the beginning of November, and it's been getting dark at 6.30, you know, 6.15, and that's hard enough, right? But then daylight savings time ends, and it's 5.15 that it's getting dark, or it's 5 o'clock that it's getting dark. About this time of, of year, it's like 4.45, and it's miserable, like, I don't like that it gets dark at 4.45, because you eat dinner, and then you get done with dinner, and it feels like it's 9 o'clock, or 10 o'clock, or 11 o'clock. So I look at my kids, and I say, what are you doing awake? Like, go to bed. And they're like, well, Dad, it's only 7 o'clock, which then sends me in this spiral of complaining about daylight savings time. And so you could pray for my kids, because they have to live with me. Uh, but then something magical happens. Something incredible happens. You get to Thanksgiving, and people turn their Christmas lights on. I'm not here to argue about whether you should turn them on before Thanksgiving or on Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving. I'm not here about that. But most people, they turn them on on Thanksgiving. And my drive home, that before was this slog through the darkness, and I'm a little bit grumpy about it's so dark at 5.15 or whatever it is, it becomes this magical trip home where there's beautiful lights and people have decorated and people have their trees in the windows, and it's beautiful. There's light in the darkness. And so the, the frustration of daylight savings time end, ending has been replaced with this, this joy over all these beautiful Christmas lights that people have placed, up, placed and put up. And so that brings light into the, the literal darkness. But what happens when the darkness in your life isn't literal, it's metaphorical? What happens when it's this darkness that's brought on by grief over losing a loved one or sickness that, that is chronic, or it's just a disappointment of the season, that it, it's not what you wanted or not what you hoped or not what you thought it would be, where do we look for light in those instances? Where do we find hope in those places? That in the middle of the darkness that we would be able to cry out, rejoice, rejoice. And so this morning I want to pray and then I want to talk about the hope that we have in restoration that O Come, O Come, Emmanuel so well captures the beauty of, of the hope that we have and that what we see now is not all that will be, but one day light is going to come and it's going to drive away the darkness. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for my friends here in the auditorium and for my friends over in the venue and for those watching online. God, would you please work in our hearts? God, I pray especially for those that are grieving for those that this season feels heavier and darker. And it's not just because daylight savings time ended, but it's because there is deep pain in their life. God, I pray that as we look at 
these verses, as we think about this song, God, would you please help us to know that light has shined and light is coming and we have hope. I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to end up in Isaiah chapter 7. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to there, you can. But I want to give you a little bit of background information on O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So it, originally, it, it comes from this Latin um, chant, like it's a Gregorian chant that these monks would sing in Latin in the 8th or 9th century. So it's really, really old. And it originally had seven verses, or they call them antiphons or antiphones. I think it's a tomato-tomato situation. Um, though I don't know anybody who says tomato. And so I don't know about those people, if they're out there or not. But everybody I know says tomato. Um, but it's an antiphon, which is like a verse, but it's a call and response. So what happened is there's two choirs, and one choir would sing, and then the other choir would respond with these different antiphons. And there were seven of them, and they would start singing seven days prior to Christmas. And then every day they would add on another one of these verses. And it would be this march closer and closer to Christmas and closer and closer to Emmanuel, God, with us. And so I'm going to do my best to pronounce these Latin words, but I probably will not do great. And so if you happen to be a time-traveling Roman here with us today, I apologize for what I'm going to do to your language. Okay, so the first word is sapentia. And it's this idea of wisdom. And so the first verse was about the wisdom of God. And, and I think about this with the, the wisdom of God in creation. And then it would move from that to the second day they would, add, they would sing the wisdom of God verse, but then they would add Adonai, the name for God that the Israelites would use. And then on day three, they would add Radix Jesse, which is the idea of this root of Jesse, that the Messiah was going to come um, from the tree of Jesse, the idea of Jesse's family. He would come from this family. And then the next day they would add Clavis David, or the key of David, that David, inside the family of Jesse, David is the key. David is the lineage through which this king is going to come, this Messiah is going to come. And then you get to Oriens or Dayspring, the, the light of the world. The light is going to dawn on people who live in darkness. And then the next day you get to Rex Genitium, or the king of the Gentiles. The idea that he's not just going to be the king of the Jews, but he's going to be the king of the world, the king of all peoples. And then finally, on Christmas Day, you get to Emmanuel, God with us. And so it's this really cool vision of starting wide and getting more and more and more narrow until you get to Christmas Day when they would sing out, Emmanuel, God is with us. And so we're going to leave the song there for the moment, and I'm going to come back to the end and tell you about how we got it into English and who did that translation, and then that person restructured it and put it to a tune. But I'm going to save that for the end. For now, what I want you to know is that m many of these ideas about Adonai and Radix Jesse and Clavis David and Oriens, that they come from the book of Isaiah. That Isaiah has all these prophecies about the Messiah, about him coming into the world. And we focus on them a lot of times on, at Christmas time. And so we're going to be in the book of Isaiah this morning. And I want to give you some background information. So Isaiah is happening during this time when the nation of Israel has split into two pieces, two kingdoms. So at one point, it was one nation where all 12 tribes were united around the, the throne of David, but now they have divided into two. And so there's a northern kingdom, and the northern kingdom has about 12, 10 tribes in it, 10 tribes, and they're called Israel or Ephraim. 
And then there's a southern kingdom, and there are Judah, and it's predominantly the tribe of Judah and then the Levitical priests. And they're focused around Jerusalem. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel, you would think there'd be an alliance with the southern kingdom because they're family. Like, they have the same lineage, but they're not. The northern king decided he was going to go and make an alliance with the region of modern-day Syria. And those two kings are moving their armies towards Judah to attack Judah. And so there's a king in Judah. His name is Ahaz. And Ahaz is worried about these kings that are coming to attack him. And he thinks this is going to be the end. And so God sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz to encourage Ahaz to faithfulness to God and to encourage him that he has confidence that he's going to um, outlast the siege. And so that's where we pick up Isaiah 7.14. So Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So this is a famous Christmas prophecy that we, we talk about a lot of times at Christmas, that the virgin's going to conceive and give birth to a son, and they're going to call him Emmanuel. So this is the message that Isaiah, Isaiah takes to Ahaz. And so there is an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy, and then there is the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. So the immediate fulfillment is that someone in Ahaz's circle who is a virgin, a woman who's not yet married, is going to get married, she's going to conceive naturally, give birth to a son, and without knowing that God had made this promise, she was going to name her son Emmanuel. And then, so Ahaz is going to go in there and go, oh, what is his name? And she's going to say, Emmanuel. And this is going to be the sign to Ahaz that God is with him, and God is going to take care of them throughout this siege. And then Isaiah will go on to say that before this baby that was born to this woman in Isaiah's, not Isaiah, but Ahaz's circle, is old enough to tell the difference between right and wrong, those other two kingdoms of Israel and of, of Syria is going to be wiped out. They're gonna be no more. Because there's this bigger kingdom of Assyria who's going to come in and take over both of them. So that's the immediate fulfillment, but then there's this ultimate fulfillment. The ultimate fulfillment is Jesus, that Jesus is Emmanuel who's born to a, a true virgin who has never been with a man, and yet by the power of the Holy Spirit, she conceives and gives birth to a son, Emmanuel, God with us. We see this in Matthew 1, through 23. It says, all this being Mary conceiving, Mary giving birth to a son, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew wants us to know that the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy was Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't the baby born in Ahaz's day. It was the baby born in Matthew's day, the baby born to Mary. But here's what we see. This is our first takeaway this morning. Christmas is about a fulfilled promise which gives us confidence and hope and the promises waiting to be fulfilled. The Christmas, it's about a fulfilled promise which gives us confidence and hope and the promises waiting to be fulfilled. That we, we stand at this moment in history where we can look back at promises that God has made to the Israelites and that God kept. 
He promised to send a Messiah. He promised to send a Redeemer. And he did this through Jesus Christ. That Jesus entered into creation. God kept his promise. He made a a way for his people to be redeemed. He kept his promise. So now we stand at this point where we look forward to promises that haven't yet been fulfilled. We're waiting for them to be fulfilled. And we can have this confidence. We can look back and see that God kept his promises in the past. He will keep his promises in the future. And so we have this great confidence. And this is what O Come, O Come, Emmanuel captures so well. It captures this tension of there's been promises that have been fulfilled and there's promises we're longing to be fulfilled. We're waiting for them to be fulfilled. So the first verse in our modern day um, arrangement is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Now, Adrian did not warn me about how tempting it was going to be to sing in front of all of you, which would go really badly for me and also for you. But the idea, so we can, we can sing this in one sense of imagining what it would be like to be Israel who was waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the Redeemer. And so when we get to the refrain that goes out, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel, we can sing that with confidence knowing that God was going to send this Redeemer to Israel, and he has. But then there's another sense we can sing the song where we can sing it from today especially for someone who's walking through darkness or walking through grief, where we long for God to send Jesus once again and to set every wrong to right, to bring restoration and newness of life, to wipe away every tear and to drive away suffering and mourning and pain. So when we sing this song, we can sing it in the sense of this has happened in the past and we can sing it in the sense of we're waiting for it to happen again But then we cry out, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you. And so there's this confidence that Jesus Christ is going to come to us again. And so it gives us this hope of a fulfilled promise. We move on to Isaiah chapter 9. If you just flip over a page. In verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then again, this, this is these famous words we read at Christmas time that the people living in deep darkness, a light has shined. The idea is that these people are in darkness, they're wandering around, they can't see, they don't know the path to life, they don't know the path to God, they don't know where to step next. And then over their horizon, the sun rises and light hits them. And they can see. That perhaps you're walking in darkness now. And you're wondering, where is the path? What is the next step? Where do I go? What do I do? The light in Jesus has dawned. And so we turn to him. That he is the light of the world. He's the hope of the world. In John 1 verse 5 John says this about Jesus, who is the light. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That the light shines in the darkness. Jesus shines in the darkness. No matter how dark it is, 
Jesus shines in the midst of it, and the darkness will never overcome it. It'll never drown it out. And so as you're going through this season right now where it may feel like light after light is going out, know that there is a light that will never go out. There is a light that will shine when all the other lights go out. There is a hope that will never run out. It is Jesus. He is the light of the world, that he is the rock on which you can stand, and no matter how big the storm is, he will withstand it. And so we have light. And this is what I love about Christmas lights. They remind us of the beauty in the darkness, remind us of the light in the darkness, that, that it brings so much joy. Like it brings delight to my heart when we turn on our Christmas lights in our home and outside because it brings light into the darkness and it's this reminder of Jesus Christ, the light of the world who entered into creation to bring light to us, people who are living in deep darkness. This is the second point. Christmas is about a light that shines in the darkness and will not be overcome. Christmas is about a light, Jesus. He shines in the darkness and he will not be overcome. No matter what trials and troubles you face, they will not overcome Jesus. They will not drown out his light. He will always give you hope, always give you light. Which again is captured in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It says, O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer. Our spirits with thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. And then the response, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel, God with us, shall come to you, O Israel. And this is what we long for. We long for Jesus Christ to enter into our lives here and now and disperse, to drive away the gloomy clouds of night, to drive away the despair, the depression, the angst, to drive it away Death's dark shadows put to flight. We long for the day where there will be no more death. And so we sing out, would you come, would you come, Jesus? God with us, would you enter into creation once again with us? If you flip to Isaiah 11, we'll see our last prophecy that we're gonna dig into this morning. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of, and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. So this starts with the shoot of Jesse. The sh a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And so the, the image is the tree of Jesse. And it's been chopped down because exile has come. Babylon has entered in and wiped out what it appears wiped out the line of David. But then from that stump, a shoot will rise up and will grow to the point where it can bear fruit. Because even though it seems like all hope is lost, God is faithful to the promises he made to David. And he is going to provide a king who will sit on David's throne forever. And that king begins to be described. And this king, 
is said to have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. And this seems like an incredible king and possibly an earthly king, but he is the best of all earthly kings. But then it begins to describe someone that must be God because it said, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness is sash around his waist. That they're describing this king that is, is man, but is also God. And this is what we see in Jesus Christ, that he is truly in every way it meant to be man. He was man, but he was also truly in every way it meant to be God, God. And only he can fulfill this promise because only he can be all of these things. But we, we long for a king like this. We long for someone who can put every wrong to right. We long for someone who understands fully righteousness because he himself is righteousness, who can take what is evil and stop it in its tracks, who can elevate what is good and can judge rightly between what is wrong and what is right. We long for this. We long for restoration where evil will no longer be able to take a hold of our world. We long for things to be brought into the light where they can be dealt with. We long for the truth. We long for righteousness. And so we see here that there's this coming of a king who will restore all things. And this is our final takeaway. Christmas is about the promise of restoration to a world in desperate need of renewal. Christmas is about the promise of restoration to a world in desperate need of renewal. And so my song is not Joy to the World, but if you sing Joy to the World, that there is one instance when I'm singing it, I'm singing it as the shepherds might have sung it, as, and again, when Adrian talked about it, it's not a Christmas song, but we sing it at Christmas. But this idea that the Savior has come but then I also sing it with this picture of when Jesus comes again, and I get to sing out, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Because I long for him to come. I long for the day when death is gonna be done, when evil is gonna be done, and when, righteous, when righteousness will reign. I long for that day. And Christmas is about the promise that that day will one day come. So in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it says, O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, onto your own and rescue them. From depths of hell your people save and give them victory o'er the grave. That there is this idea that we were on this path to hell, this path to destruction, and God stepped in through Jesus Christ and rescued us. Pulled us off that path towards redemption, saved us from that. And we long for the day when we will have complete victory over the grave. That now we have this victory in the sense that we don't have to grieve or mourn like those who have no hope. We have hope that when someone who knows and trusts and believes in Jesus passes away, that when they leave, when they die, it's not goodbye forever. It's goodbye until I see you again. It's I will see you again. But we long for the day when death will have no sting at all because we will be totally victorious over it. Well, there will be no more death. It will be totally destroyed and defeated. And so we sing this. Would you come, O branch of Jesse's stem, 
this righteous king who is going to rescue and to redeem and to set everything right, would you come and restore your world? And then they sing out, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. So I told you I was going to tell you about the man who brought this from this Latin um, hymn into English. So it was a guy named John Mason Neal, and he lived from 1818 to 1866 in England. He was an Anglican priest. He was educated at Trinity College in Cambridge, England, and he was a man who was well acquainted with the darkness in our world and the grief in our world and the pain in our world and the suffering in our world. When he was five, his dad passed away. And then at some point early on in his life, he developed a lung illness that constantly threatened to take his life. That it it directed his life, it, it caused him to have to say no to different things and to live in certain places for health reasons. And so he was brilliant brilliant, like he had to be towards the top of his class when he graduated from Trinity, and yet he didn't take over some amazing pastorate. Instead, he was put in charge of a care home for elderly men and infirm men. And he was caring for these men, and as he was doing this, he also formed this sisterhood of St. Margaret's. It was Anglican nurses that they began to care for the poor and the sick. And then these nurses, they began to form an orphanage for people who either their parents had abandoned them or their parents had died. And then from there, he, with them, formed this home for women who were coming out of prostitution. It was a place of recovery and and refuge for them. And when he wasn't doing all these different charitable works, he was pouring over ancient Greek documents and Latin documents, looking for anything that needed to be translated that the modern church, in his day, the modern church, should be singing. And then he came across these antiphons that these Gregorian, these uh, Benedictine monks had been singing. And something in this caught him and he said, we need to sing these words. And that's what we know about John Mason Neal, but I want to take a moment to just take a guess at what captivated him when he looked over these seven verses, what captivated him to say, we need to sing this song. And I think for him, it had to be the hope. Because if you think your life is I'm working with people who are sick, people who are orphans, people who are facing the end of their life, and then my life, I have this illness that's hanging over my life that every year I wonder, is this my last Christmas? Is this my, my last Easter? Is this my last whatever? You need hope. You need light. You need the promise of restoration that what you experience and what you see will not always be this way. And so then he comes across these Latin words and he says, this is what we need. And he rearranges it and he puts it to a tune and they begin to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. God with us. I want to end with Revelation 21, verses three and four. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Emmanuel, God with us. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That at Christmas we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. But there is coming a day when God will be with us again and he will wipe away every tear. He will wipe away suffering and death and mourning and crying and pain and it will be no more. And so in the moment while we walk through these things, we keep our eyes on the hope of a fulfilled promise in the past that gives us confidence of a promise like this that we are waiting to be fulfilled. That we keep our eyes on the light of the world who is Jesus, who was once come into the world and he is coming again. And then finally we keep our eyes on the hope of restoration, that what we experience now is not what it will always be. But one day, Emmanuel, God with us will come. And so now as we wait, we cry out and we sing out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you are God with us. God, we thank you that you are with us now in the sense of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and lives with us for those who know and trust you and believe in you. But God, we also rejoice knowing that there is coming a day when you will be God with us in bodily form that this king of Jesse, this king of David, this son of David who's going to come and set all the wrongs to right, and he will bring restoration and newness of life is coming. Lord, would you please help us? Would you please give us confidence and courage? Would you give us endurance? Would you give us joy? God, I pray for those that are grieving, those that are mourning, God, would they experience a a special the special presence of you with them today. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen.